Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Well, hi, listeners. This is Season 5, Episode 39, produced by Jesus Centered Resources, which is essentially just like me. (laughs) My name is Rick. I'm author of the just-released Jesus Centered Daily, a little baby that uh, took up the last two years of my life. Um, So thrilled that it's out, this bouncing little hardback tiny little devotional baby. Um, If you like this podcast and you want sort of a daily creative upending connection post uh, connection point with Jesus in your life. um, Well, what are you waiting for? (laughs) You can just go to my website that I created my own self called jesuscenteredaily.com, jesuscenteredaily.com. Go there. You'll see a button to to buy a copy. If you want, takes you directly to Amazon or uh, there's another button that you can get a free 10-day sampler if you want to check it out before you, you get it. And you can even watch my little intro video that I shot on a uh, nature trail near my house. If you want to see a nature trail near my house, you can watch my intro video. So, And if you already have a copy, please, please, please post your review on Amazon. It's really easy to do it. You don't have to write a long review. Um, it just It takes really less than two minutes to do this. And it's a huge, it's a huge help. It's like puts an oar in the water to help the boat go forward. And if you would like more people to get exposed to a daily upending, um, nurturing, transformational relationship with Jesus, spread the word. Uh, and that's one way to, one easy way to do it is post a review on Amazon because then Amazon gives a little more attention um, to uh, that kind of activity. So So anyway, there you have it. Um, This is the fifth episode in a series I'm calling Present Concerns. Here we're exploring issues and challenges that we're dealing with in our everyday lives today and reaching back, connecting back to encounters and teaching and um, growth influence that Jesus had on that very issue back uh, when he was interacting with people face-to-face. So that's what we're doing. We're, we're connecting the two from whatever our, the wallpaper of our life is today back to uh, how Jesus dealt directly with that issue in his time. And today we're going to explore good humor, not the ice cream bar, <laughs> something broader than that, good humor. And once again, joining me for this episode is the now recovered Becky Nader, wasn't able to be on last week because she had an issue. Uh, well, the issue is that she had an ear infection and not COVID. Um, and she described, though, her ear infection to me in graphic detail, and that's what took her out of commission. So, hi, Becky. You want to give us an update on the saga of the ear infection? Yeah, that's what friends do is they take the time to really graphically explain their disgusting exactly. ear infection. You know, exactly. Yeah. You, know, you know what good friends you are, the more graphic the description. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I I had I got an ear infection that caught up with me. I they think it was actually because we had I'm where I'm at in Oregon, we were kind of surrounded on all sides by the fires. Um they didn't uh some of Ben, my sister got evacuated, but most of us were safe as far as our homes. Um but the smoke was so dense here, you couldn't even drive. It was so dense and they, they had extremely hazardous warnings. So people who worked outside couldn't go to work for a few days. And I was just terribly allergic. The congestion caught up with me and never went away and settled in my ears. So I couldn't hear. I felt like I was living underwater for an entire week. It was terrible. Ooh, yes. That, that sounds the opposite of fun. Yeah. It was the opposite of funny. <laughs> you know, um, I was just thinking about this. Um, you... Uh, <laughs> I can't believe that I don't remember this, but and then I'm thinking, why don't I remember this? The reason I don't remember it is because I've been promising everybody that I was going to tell you some big news. And the big news is I'm now the new executive director of an organization called Vibrant Faith. Um, I'm into my, uh, toward the end of my second week now, and I waited to announce this because the organization wanted to announce it first, and they just did that today. So I am uh, one in a long string of 
executive directors of this organization, first started by Dr. Merton Strawman, who was really one of the, the really the, the, the grandfather, the pioneer of, of more professional ways of approaching youth ministry. He was a very respected academic, and he, for the first time, started actually doing research and um, looking into what was really effective and powerful in engaging young people. And um, he started this organization about uh, 20, 25 years ago. And it's a research-connected organization, but also resources ministry people working in the trenches in the church. And it's a fantastic confluence of, of my background and skills and abilities. And, and my friend Nancy Going is stepping down as the executive director, but still staying with the organization, thank God. Um, but she felt like it was time to pass on the baton. And um, after a three-and-a-half-month national search, I plopped into the role. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm swirling with so much right now, just trying to learn, you know, as you would in a brand new organization, all of the ins and outs. And because of all that, I was about to say, Hey, Becky, you actually had COVID. Right. And then I thought, Oh, am I thinking of someone else? <laughs> and she's shaking her head. No, I didn't have COVID. So. I mean, I didn't get tested, but we got sick before, um, the lockdown really bad our whole family. So it's possible we, we all had COVID. Possibly you had it and didn't know it. Yeah. But we didn't, they didn't have testing back then. So. Yeah. Well, I told you I've, I've lost all sense of reality in some, some arenas because my, all of my synapses are firing at high RPM right now. So, so. But I've certainly been exposed to it a lot because yeah. <laughs> I've traveled and I've done lots of things. So if I feel like my aunt actually was telling me that, she has been exposed like two of her family members who stayed with her for multiple days had COVID during the time Wow! and she didn't get it. And she feels really upset about it. She was like, what is wrong with me? I've obviously been extremely exposed to this virus. Why doesn't it like oh, me? She feels rejected by COVID. <laughs> she That's, feels rejected by COVID. <laughs> you know, you have rejection issues when you even feel it when the virus re rejects you. Everybody else is getting it. Why not me? That's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> well, you know, that actually, that's a great transition, actually, because I, the other day I saw this cartoon that was raising an existential conundrum. So when is it okay to joke about COVID-19 instead of dreading it or denying it or venting about it? What they were In this cartoon, it was raising whether it was time, it was okay if it was sort of co uh, correct to begin joking about COVID-19 when so many people now are in a third wave surge that's higher than the first two, two surges and so many people are being hospitalized and their lives are being upended and our economy is being uh, leveraged. Is it really okay to, to be joking about COVID-19 or not? That's the, the issue the cartoon was raising. What do you think, Becky? Are, is it okay to joke about COVID-19 or, or is it too soon? I think it's okay to joke about I don't think it's okay to joke about people dying of COVID-19. I think we're wise enough to understand that. Yeah. We shouldn't joke about people dying of anything, right? right. Like we don't make yeah. jokes about people who are dying of cancer. So, yeah. um, but I think you can, can only make jokes about people dying when it's a roadrunner cartoon. You know, when something is this hard, I think there has to be some comic relief. Yeah. Just to give us a break and realize that like, we're not, we're not really living in, the worst of times we, you know, we watched this movie that was um, done during the Holocaust where these Jewish people lived in the forest and like for, I think five or six years, there was 1200 of them and they multiple times almost got caught and they multiple times almost starved. Wasn't this in Poland? In, yeah, it was like in Poland and it was, that was terrible. Yes. <laughs> was terrible. And you know what they did during that time? They had weddings. They had celebrations. They had Christmas. They did all the things. So if we can't do all of those things now, like I feel like we're being babies. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I mean, that's a great answer. And, and when you think about, I said this episode is about good humor. It's not, is that really a present concern, good humor? Well, it's not. It feels weird to say that. But what I really mean is that our lack of good humor right now is a present concern. The fact that we lack it or wonder, uh, I think all of us feel this sort of foreboding intensity all around us. Like my daughter, Emma, um, 
she's she we're heading into colder months and she exercises and and we stopped going to our previous uh, fitness club because my wife is immune compromised and we could just couldn't go there anymore but my daughter Emma wants to go you know walk and run on a treadmill during the winter months so we she joined a cheapo fitness club and she went for the first time yesterday and now we're in a safer at home status where only a quarter of the people, normal people can go into the fitness club and you have to reserve your spot. She shows up, there's a big line outside. So she's standing in line and um, uh, waiting to get inside this place. And there's kind of big, muscly, meat-headed guys kind of lining up behind her. You know, she, she described it as she glanced back and you can see the veins in their biceps, you know, that kind of guy. And they're not wearing masks when everyone else is. And they're just intensely complaining about how un-American it is that they have to wait to get into their health club. And it was very, I mean, Emma was so uncomfortable with the level of intensity that she just left. She, she couldn't handle it because the guys were too imposing and it was upsetting for her. But it, it's a picture really of how intense our environment is right now and, and how, you know, you're, you have to wait in line to get in your fitness club. So instead of having good humor about it, making a joke about it, you get super intense about it. And I think this, that in, on that level, this is a present concern. So a good friend of mine sent me this illustrated blog um, that a, a guy from uh, the, who's a columnist for outside magazine, his name is Brendan Leonard um, writes this blog. It's called semi rad. And we'll put a link to the blog on our podcast page. I'll tell you how to access that at the end. Um, but Brendan Leonard, he's an adventurer. He's a climber. He's an ultra marathoner. And he's a really good writer. And uh, this, the, the blog that my friend sent me was based on a keynote talk that Brendan Leonard delivered for this online climbing festival called Kragen Classic. So <laughs> he was invited to be a keynoter. And so his, his keynote was on Zoom. This, uh, this festival is sponsored by the American Alpine Club. So he's a climber and he was invited to a climber festival to give a talk. And his talk was called Staying in the Game. And in the beginning, he quotes the, the iconic Yuan Chouinard, the famous climber and founder of the outdoor clothing uh, company, Patagonia. Chouinard said this, for me, when everything goes wrong, that's when the adventure starts. For me, when everything goes wrong, that's when the adventure starts. And Becky, I was thinking about you when I read that line, because I think that line actually describes the last five years of your life. So, but when everything goes wrong, we are not really in the mood to enjoy our adventure. When everything goes wrong, it's not like, wow, great new adventure. We're not thinking that. It's only in retrospect that we could say something like that. But how do you interpret Chenard's quote? relative to your own story in the last five years, Becky, when everything went wrong now in retrospect, do you think, well, that's when the adventure started? Is that, does that resonate with you? I think that's a really consistent um, story, actually. I um, interviewed somebody yesterday. This woman has this incredible story. She was in her very early 20s, just gotten married. She was pregnant with her first child. And she found out that she had a very aggressive stage three skin cancer in her side. And they, the options they gave her were like abortion and chemo or death. (laughs) And she just decided that that didn't work for her. So she opted to have the cancer cut out with no anesthesia, not even local anesthesia and had to have seven people hold her down while they cut this giant tumor out of her Um, side of her skin. And then they sewed her back up and she maintained the pregnancy, but where it was, the pregnancy stretched out this giant, she calls it her shark bite. It was like 50 stitches and just this horrible experience. But then they kept telling her the whole time that she was going to die anyways, that she would, that she was going to die. Here she is like, you know, nearing her mid forties, still alive, still kicking. And she has this incredible story, but like all of that uh, it, the way that all of that happened, this horrible experience, it actually pivoted on her, her onto this amazing adventure. And the more I talk to these women who have had horrendous things in their life and chosen a different way than what the norm was, it usually is quite the adventure. And um, so I know that it's scary 
um, to pivot. And I know a lot of, you know, I don't know if you know this, Rick, but the a women's report came out and that 876,000 women exited the workforce in September. Wow. And they're predicting that if we keep in this current climate of uh, distance lear- learning, by the end of 2021, another 2 million women will exit the workforce. Wow. And I know that sounds alarming, but it also sounds a little bit adventurous. Like, huh. what, they're not lazy women, they're career women. They're going to do something awesome. So, um, I think in the midst of change and when things are just always sounding hard, when we go through a place where God pivots our life in a major way, adventure awaits. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that little spin you had there on that last bit of news about women leaving the workforce. Just, I mean, that, that's actually an example in a way of good humor. It's a way of perspective. It's a way of seeing something hard and difficult in a different light. And, um, and a lot of us in this culture are not seeing things in a different light. We get kind of dragged down by the momentum of this maelstrom that's sucking us down into the darkness. And, and uh, I think what Brendan Leonard is doing in, in this keynote that you're going to hear a little snippet here uh, in a minute, what he's trying to do is, is say, as a person who's often put himself in very difficult circumstances, ultra marathoning, climbing very high peaks, um, doing all the adventurous stuff that he does. He, he even lived like you did for a short time, uh, Becky, in a van, he lived the van life for a while. Um, he's done a lot of things that have that on the outside looking in are hard. And one of the things that he's a committed believer in is having good humor through those. And that's why he's so fascinated by the classic story of Ernest Shackleton and his uh, adventure in trying to uh, lead a team to be the first to traverse Antarctica as a continent. Uh, this is back in the early 1900s and Shackleton recruited his team of 28 men and they had a ship called the Endurance. And the, the idea was that they would land on the Northern tip of Antarctica and drop off their team. And then the ship would go around Antarctica and, and pick them up on the other side after they traversed the continent. Well, the plan didn't work out so well. They got stuck in pack ice and, and uh, the ship could not move. And so they decided to wait it out until it all melted in the spring. Well, it didn't, uh, didn't work out that way either. They, they camped on the pack ice um, and used the ship, but eventually the ice just chewed the ship up and destroyed it and sank it. And here these guys are thousands of miles from anyone there's no communication. No one knows what's happened to them. There, no one can reach them because they're stuck in pack ice. And how are they going to survive? They're, they're, their ship has drifted with the ice by the time it sinks. Um, they end up uh, using their lifeboats to rescue all of them. And they, 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 they drag the lifeboats across the ice until they hit open water. And then they take six days in those lifeboats to to um, uh, paddle their way to Elephant Island, which is the closest land. And they all encamp there. And then a small team of six led by Ernest Shackleton, the the leader of the expedition, decides to go on the most impossible journey you can imagine. They're going to go across the open sea of the the, uh, South Atlantic. Um, They're going to go across the ocean to uh, Georgia Island where there's a whaling station there, um, South Georgia Island. And to get there, it takes them 18 18 days in open water with 20-foot waves in ice-cold water to get to this place with no navigation other than dead reckoning. It's it's considered the single greatest navigational feat in history. Um, I know all this because I'm fascinated with this story, and this story opens my book, The God Who Fights For You, um, I'm so fascinated by Shackleton's story and then what happened to him after this story. But he, he ends up, um, they, they make it to South George Island. They, they uh, go for 33 hours straight across unmapped territory on the island to get to the other side where they get to the whaling station. And nobody is supposed to show up in the middle of winter, by the way, at the whaling station. <laughs> so these guys were just freaked out that somebody just walks into their door and couldn't believe their story. But eventually, all of the men, including the remaining men on Elephant Island, get saved. So the whole saga takes two years. And he saves every single one of these men. 
the thing that struck me about this that Brendan Leonard is pointing out about this story, and you're, you're going to hear him, uh, uh, he, he, I, I'm describing the story, and then he's going to pick up after that story and kind of uh, bring some insight into it. But the thing that struck me about what Brendan Leonard is trying to say is he's pointing out that these men had a unique bond and relationship that they developed, and they were all men who really loved to laugh. They were all men of good humor. And so historians point to that and say that, that that ability, that social ability to have good humor and laugh about their circumstances is probably what saved their lives in addition to Shackleton's leadership. So, so Leonard is, is uh, going to talk about, well, what, what do we do when we're going on the downward slide of, oh, crap. Now, he uses a different word than crap in here. So just warning, <laughs> a mild profanity warning in this clip. I'm just warning you ahead of time. He uses the word you're thinking of right now, but he's describing this sort of downward slide um, in, in, uh, uh, in, in life and her outlook. So he has a kind of a chart in his blog, and I'll, I'll put a uh, link to his blog as well, that it has outlook on the vertical and then time on the horizontal. And at the start of the curve, it's, wow, things are going so well. And then you hit this steep, steep, uh, uh, descent, the oh crap descent, uh, and he calls this the story of adventure, where everything starts out, things are going really well, and then something terrible happens, and it slides down, and that's where the adventure begins. So, so uh, let's listen to Brendan Leonard uh, sort of exegete <laughs> a rotten, stinking, hard time, and how good humor plays a big role in it. So how do they do it? This is, uh, this is the, the most succinct quote I could find um, that explained things. This is actually from a review of the graphic novel of, uh, about the Shackleton expedition. Uh, Sarah Harrison Smith writes, although Shackleton's judgment and charisma were essential to their survival, so true was the crew's almost unanimous good humor and gung-ho persistence. Banjo playing, card games, theatricals, and plenty of old-fashioned grit made the discomforts and dangers of their isolation at the bottom of the world more, more bearable. So I'm sure history has been kind and there were way more disagreements than we want to, than we actually know. Um, and it's probably some, some bad attitudes in two years between 28 people. Um, but this quote about the almost unanimous good humor makes me think about, there's a, there's a famous quote. I'm not sure who actually said it. I tried to look it up before uh, in the past couple of weeks and didn't find any results, but essentially it is if you make it two weeks into an expedition and you don't know who the asshole is, you're the asshole. Um, so I think there probably weren't too many assholes on this expedition. I think there was one sort of attempt at uh, uh, mutiny by one by one member of the crew, but um, it was it was sort of quashed. Uh, but I think I think what she's saying here is the attitude is what got these these guys through and got them got them safely through it and sanely uh, as far as that goes. I think of that quote also makes me think of uh, the famous climber Todd Skinner who, this is a quote, I don't think this quote is about accountants. No offense to accountants. I love my accountant. I think they're wonderful accountants. I think Todd Skinner here is talking about work, but he's, you know, in a rainstorm, allegedly, you know, like in absolutely awful conditions on an adventure and says to his partner, it could be worse. We could be accountants. But this, I think, is what he's really saying. Um, this is a chart I made a couple of years ago when I think about Basically, this is a joke about every single thing you do in the outdoors where you realize that you would rather have a bad day in the outdoors at it than a good day at work, um, which, which I think makes sense. You know, it, it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And then you realize, God, I'd rather be out here just getting my ass kicked by Mother Nature instead of sitting at my desk answering emails because those are, those are never great days. So this is my version of, at least for not accountants, but... We all are in some way, I guess. So I think, uh, I think about how morale works uh, during these, these long things. I've run several, I've run a couple hundred mile races, several 50 mile races. A couple weeks ago, I went out by myself and did a, a 65 mile uh, jaunt near, near town here over, over the top of five peaks. And um, I would not say I was, had a positive uh, experience the entire time of any of these things. But I do think it's important to be able to laugh at yourself and others and the other fools who are doing these things with you 
during these things. So I believe this is how things should go. Um, optimism is going to always go up and down, but I believe jokes should always be there in a sense of humor. Um, if you can't joke, you know, at, at your worst hour, um, I, I don't know. I don't know how you get through things. You can see this is this is also you know it's, this is the same chart of course, but I apply it. I apply it to mountaineering trips. Apply it during epic travel days where you know you could be that angry person you know screaming at the ticket agent, which solves nothing. Um, or you could just laugh and say, "Wow, this is this is hilarious. I can't believe this is happening." Also, during a dental cleaning, um, this is obviously limited by how much the tools are in your mouth when someone's cleaning your teeth. Um, it's sort of hard to joke when they're when they've got everything like holding your tongue down and scraping with a hook, um, which thankfully they're, they're doing less of these days, I believe, because of the water pick things. But uh, but I think this is also um, applicable. Um, and you know, I think there are. I guess I think about sacred moments, and I, I why I come to this sort of belief that humor is always okay as I believe from the Irish side of my family. Um, and I think dark humor and black humor is how the Irish people have sort of gotten through all the trials and tribulations of their history. But also um, my mother's side of the family is almost hundred percent Irish. And I was, I happened to be at my grandmother's deathbed with several of my relatives from my mother's side, which I consider to be one of the most powerful, um, experiences I've ever had in my life, but also shocking in that my mother and my aunts were still trying to make each other and my grandmother laugh throughout most of the day when it was becoming fairly obvious that this was going to be a deathbed thing. And I was almost sort of appalled um, at just the singing and the jokes and the, and the nonsense. And I just thought, well, I guess, you know, people say you don't want to die alone. And I think maybe, maybe other people might have chosen to die alone <laughs> once they saw what it looked like. But um, I, do, I do think it helps. And uh, so once, you, once you've cleared that hurdle of, you know, having a, you know, a time of injecting humor to a death, I mean, there really is, there's really no limit from that point. Okay, there you go. Brendan Leonard. Um, so what's something that really stuck out to you in this clip, Becky? We, we, we seem to have a distinct lack of good humor right now. Um, I've mentioned that. So, so why is that? So what, what's something that stuck out to you? Well, I mean, I have gone, I've, I actually used to be a climber. I don't know if you know this. I did not know that. You did not have COVID and you were a climber. I was a climber. I should have known. In my 20s. Um, and my, uh, my, my college boyfriend was a really good climber and he did some of these like Arctic, like get dropped on a helicopter into the middle of a iceberg and then have like a certain amount of days to get to the pickup site and do ice climbing for, it was month long trips. Mm. So I was constantly putting him on airplanes and then being like, am I ever going to see you again? Um, <laughs> and yeah. But when you're out in that kind of environment and there is like, you just never know, despite what the weather says, it could be a cold day. It could be a windy day. And for sure, I, I identify with that idea that um, you just have to have a good attitude. My sisters and I used to be out in the freezing cold rain surfing. And my dad would be like on the beach with his little jacket. And, but in our mind, it was just all about the adventure that we were on. And I think, um, we are so much more concerned about just, um, just not rocking the status quo. And I think that this is good for people. I actually am more excited for people to have their, their, their boats rocked and their things upended than to just sit in complacency. Um, and I think that the complacency is in comfort sometimes is more dangerous in our personal lives with Jesus. And he's really only after one thing, which is our heart. So, um, but I do think it does take a really good sense of humor. And one, I'm, my family is also extremely Irish. And one thing that my family does extremely well is funerals and tragedies. They do <laughs> a lot of things very well, but funerals and tragedies, they are on point. And part of the reason that they're on point is because of that, like, 
sense of humor. And anytime when my grandma was dying of cancer, there was a lot of laughter and there was a lot of just family being together. And um, that is just, we had some other tragedies. My cousin died tragically at 21 giving birth. And um, we just did that. We just do that part really well because we have such a good sense of humor you know, you, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about that that uh, Old Testament description of us, that God made us fearfully and wonderfully. Yeah. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And part of the fearful, wonderful in us is he has installed shock absorbers for our soul because he knows that adventure, in the way we're talking about it now, an adventure always involves danger and disappointment that every adventure involves danger and disappointment. That's, that's why it's an adventure. It's because you, you can't control it. It's, it's something you, you enter into with all of your being because you don't know what's going to happen next. And that's what makes it an adventure. And that's what makes it a great story afterwards. But he knows that all of life is, is going to be a quote unquote adventure for us. And we need shock absorbers. We can't hit these potholes full on onto the car because the car will break apart without shock absorbers and good humor is our shock absorber. And, and I was just thinking about the right there at the end when he's talking about humor in sacred moments. So here, this guy's, you can tell just from listening to him, he's not exactly, you wouldn't call him a sacred person. <laughs> you can tell what, from what uh, cut of the cloth he is, but he recognizes that, that a, a death is a sacred moment. And so really what he was wrestling with is, is humor okay in the sacred moments, like you were just talking about, Becky, and he ends up deciding that it is. But I think it goes even deeper into the sacred that when we laugh in the midst of something really hard, when we, we can find the ridiculousness in something, or we can find the irony in something, or even sometimes the sarcasm in something, when we can find that in the midst of our darkness, it's kind of a way of saying, this is not the end all. This thing that I'm going through is not the final word on my life or who I am. It's not. Uh, and, and if I can joke in the middle of it, it's kind of like a warning flare sent out to the darkness to say, um, hey, darkness, you will not overcome the light in me. Uh, good humor does that, I think. So, so is good humor um, the cherry on the top of our life, the Sunday of our life, or is it really the Sunday itself? Is it good humor? Is it central to our survival during tough times and also central to our life with Jesus? I think it is um, central and, and it's good for us to remember this right now because we are sheep. We easily forget the truth, especially when, when we're under duress so it's good to remember this. So, so Becky, let's explore Jesus' relationship with good humor and learn a little bit about how it's embedded in our life of following him. At first, I want to point out something just uh, as kind of an on-ramp here. Th this little bit of wisdom from Ecclesiastes 3, uh, verse 4. There is a time to laugh, says Solomon. There is a time to laugh, says Solomon. It, you wouldn't think we'd have to be reminded about that, but there, there are times to laugh. So if we wonder if the Bible, why the Bible is never described as a book of humor, don't forget this little bit of wisdom from Solomon. We know also that Jesus is fully God and fully human. So we know for certain that he laughed a lot because it's fully human to do that no matter where you're from. So we're going to dive here into uh, two or three little stories of Jesus that maybe you've never really seen through the lens of humor Becky and I are going to explore each one, but I, bef right before we do that, Becky, I wanted to ask you, you said you've been doing some uh, recent kind of digging into humor, what is good and what is not good about humor. Anything you want to throw into the mix here before we kind of look through this lens at Jesus? We have a preteen in our house. She'll be a teenager next week, actually. So we're going to have a full-blown teenager. <laughs> um, and so we had noticed that um, there had been this pattern of telling jokes in a form of cutting people down. Yeah. <laughs> and that it was getting more and more frequent. And at first I don't think I really even noticed what was going on because it was subtle and they weren't, they just flew by you really quickly. And then I, it was one um, day 
but it was just happening like over and over again. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is put downs in the form of jokes. I know what's going on. <laughs> and so my husband and I realized, oh, this is a pattern and be a behavior that's being um, kind of led into our house. And it was just feeling like really heavy in the air, actually. And so we w- sat down and we were like, well, what is humor? What, what is good humor, right? Because we're here to teach good behaviors and not just focus on bad behaviors. And so um, some of the things that really stuck out to me was that laughter has a connection to joy and joy is um, noted as a, a fruit of the spirit. So when Jesus is living in us, we're filled with joy and that often results in laughter. Um, so mm. it should come from good things in our life right? So if it's connected to joy, it has to be connected to good things. Um, Also, the other thing is that laughter actually requires humility and vulnerability. Mm. Because laughter um, requires, and even to tell a good joke, or to receive a good joke, you have to actually have some humility around what you're doing, um, in order for that to be well received by both people, because that's the thing is a joke is meant to be shared. And if only one person is enjoying it, it's not really a good joke, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, that was the other thing that we talked about. But the, the biggest thing we talked about is that an insult packaged up in a joke is still an insult. Yeah. And that's yeah. not funny. So um, one, of these, uh, one of these little bits that we're going to dive into here, it's going to be interesting. I, I want you to bring this back into the, the lens when we look at what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Um, that was really quite funny, but was it an insult? What, what was it a put down? What was it? So uh, let's dive into these stories. The first one is called the parable of the rich fool. This is from Luke chapter 12. So if you're not driving right now and you want to crack open your Jesus-centered Bible, you know, I hope you have a Jesus-centered Bible. If you don't, I'll put a link uh, on our podcast page. That's paying ridiculous attention to Jesus.com. And this is season five, episode 39. If you just click on that link, you'll see the links to everything we've talked about today, but also one there for the Jesus-centered Bible. You should definitely check that out. If you already have one, you might also think about, um, you know, uh, buying a couple for Christmas gifts, which is going to come faster than you think. So uh, this is the parable of the rich fool, Luke 12. Crack open that Jesus-centered Bible if you're not driving. It's uh, verses 13 through 21. I'll read it and then Becky and I will talk about it. Then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me the judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he told them a story. This is so great. Jesus is always doing this. He tells them something that's a kingdom of God truth. And then he tells them a story because stories stick. And his stories don't always have a nice bow at the end of them either. And that's on purpose too. So here he's about to tell a story, the parable of the rich fool. Here's what he says. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, well, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, You have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you're going to die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So here Jesus is telling this, uh, (laughs) you might call it a teaching story, but he's using some sarcasm here. In this story, you can feel it as he's responding to this, uh, as he's telling the story and trying to help us understand the point of the story. He's using a little sarcasm that's embedded in the story, which is a form of humor that's designed to point out a serious truth in a way. So why would Jesus do that? Why is like another way of asking that is, is sarcasm okay in the kingdom of God? Let's start there, Becky. Is sarcasm okay in the kingdom of God? Well, this is a very typical Jesus story. I do think that when you read it, and this is one of um, the really good things about uh, Rick's new daily devotional, is that he really poses Jesus in a lot of humorous ways, which we don't 
<laughs> you don't really picture him. So I think when you're reading it, you have to read it like someone who you really like and trust, like someone who you would consider like a really good friend, kind of poking some fun at you. Yeah. Instead of lecturing you. Because I, I think in this story, if you read it in a lecturing tone, it will sound like a lecture. But if you read it in a kind of a buddy joking with you, like, well, dude, <laughs> if you store up all this stuff and die tomorrow, like, then what? That doesn't, that doesn't sound like an insult. That sounds like somebody who's trying to have a conversation with you in a lighter way. Um, I love they, what you, I love what you just pointed out there. Like the, the line could have been like, if you put it in the context you're saying just now, like, and, and you put yourself in this situation, you're listening to Jesus tell the story and, and the, uh, and uh, at the very end of it, uh, God says to him, you fool, you'll die this very night. You, you, it could be retranslated as he's telling the story. Hey, dude, what if you died tonight? Like, yeah. let's just say you died tonight. Now what? It, now what? It, it could be said, said like that um, in the less kind of formally didactic, finger-pointing way that we typically read or hear stories like this. Yeah. Especially if it was Jesus. We think it's a lecture. And I think what, what, is, what is being said here is he actually doesn't say you're a fool for storing up wealth. He says you're a fool for storing up wealth, but not – but to not be focusing on the wealth of your relationship with God. Yes. Right. So there, why are we having this conversation? Why, why is this so important to you? Because I've noticed in your life that you're not really focusing on having a rich, rich relationship with God. Let's talk about that instead, because I actually think that's more important than this other thing. You know, the, the context of the whole story is he wants to split, divide his father's estate um, with his brother. Even Barely. He, 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 the implication is he hasn't been treated fairly in this division. Yes. yes. And Jesus is saying, well, first of all, this is something we keep saying. This is another example of we come to Jesus with our earthly concerns for him to make a decision. And he's like, I'm not going to make this decision. This is not, none of my concern. But what is my concern is you and me. What is my concern is you and me and what we're doing here, our relationship. That's my concern. I really, I really, really love what you just said there, Becky, that, I mean, you can condense down most of our life down to what you just said. Like, yes, we have concerns. He expects us to bring them to him because he loves us and he wants a close, intimate relationship. However, he's always going to say, Hey, my, my chief issue here is our relationship. No matter what. All of these things only are interesting in the context of how they affect our relationship, uh, our intimacy with, with Jesus. And that's, he's got his eye on the ball all the time. Yeah. And so the, another question out of this is um, another way of thinking about this is how can humor or good humor actually be a powerful component in our pursuit of Jesus? I, I, I'll throw out my thought about that. Um, I think that my sense of humor is vital in my pursuit of Jesus because the, every intimate relationship has shock absorbers. So my whole journey, by the way, after I lost my job four months ago, um, and here I've worked at the same, in the same role, same organization for 33 years. That's a really long time. And I'm 59, and now what? What am I going to do? And uh, I have a really eccentric, unusual mix of gifts and skills and experiences. So where's that going to fit? And how am I going to take care of my family and all of these things? And I wasn't gripped with anxiety, but I was churning inside at the start of this process. Like, what, what's going to happen here? And I'm, I think I said, I told this story on the podcast before, but it bears repeating here. I'm standing outside at our grill churning on this. I'm alone. I'm just talking with Jesus. And I'm thinking about all the questions I need to think about. And he just intrudes into that. And it's one of those moments I heard his voice just clearly pierce through all that. And he said this with a smile. I mean, if you know what I mean, I, I didn't physically see Jesus smile, but I could sense the, the smile behind this comment. He just said very simply to me, Hey, Rick, would it be okay if what happened next was better? And I, 
burst out laughing out loud. And I just, through my laughter, said, yes, Jesus, of course. And then I started to cry. Because what he was doing in that moment was joking with me. It was his way of saying, hey, buddy, it's going to be okay. And you're concerned about just meeting the bar of mediocrity going forward. What would happen if whatever came next was better? Would that be okay with you? And you know what? What has come next is better. Um, so I, I hung on to that little interchange through those four months of uncertainty, not so much because I was clinging to the promise of whatever would come, but because the nature of what happened with me and him at the grill was the lifeblood of my relationship with him. He joked in a moment when I was gripped, you know, by concern and it was the right thing to do. And he trusted me to laugh about it afterwards. And, and I did. So it was actually a, a significant marker in my relationship with him. And I don't know, Becky, if you can relate to that, um, given all of the stuff, the crap that you've been through in the last five years and how humor might have shown up as a, a component in your relationship with Jesus. I think that I have seen this kind of thing work really well whenever I have been with somebody who is having a really hard time. Mm. And um, our friend Steph is very good at this. She is so good at when you're just like wrestling through a major thing and she can find humor in it and get you laughing and get you kind of just grounded back down. But when you're, when, when a friend is going through a hard time, Sometimes humor is a great way for them to experience some grace in what yes. they're experiencing to, yep. to help them kind of get away from it and be like, gosh, this is just ridiculous, isn't it? You know, like this is just too much. And then suddenly they're laughing instead of being so consumed with the stress of it. So I think that humor is a way that we can help people um, have grace or even when you've um, if you've been through a, a period of time where you've had to be kind of uh, outed for some behavior, maybe you've had some behavior and you're sitting with a friend and you're humiliated and your pride is getting the best of you and they can make a joke and you can just take it. You can, it just takes that shame pressure valve completely off. Right. So yeah, instead of pointing the finger of power. Yeah. Instead of pointing the finger at that arrogance, you pull the rug out from under the arrogance and you, and, and then it has the same effect. It exposes the arrogance, but it doesn't do it in a heavy way in a, in a way that kind of presses down on the identity. So I promised we would do a little uh, zinger here from Jesus to the Pharisees. This is from Matthew 23, 24, Matthew 23, 24. And it's in the middle, the whole chapter of Matthew 23 is like Jesus going after the Pharisees and he's quite creative I mean, he's unbelievably creative and funny about how he exposes their, their junk. <laughs> but here's one of my favorites from this long list of zingers. In verse 24, he says, blind guides, you know, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. So he's, here he's like, kind of like a stand-up comic. <laughs> you guys, you guys. You're like, you strain your water because you don't want to swallow a gnat and you don't realize right at that moment you're swallowing a camel, but um, bump. Um, so there's Jesus as a stand-up comic. So why does Jesus use humor like this, Becky, do you think, when he's actually calling people out for their stuff? Why, why does he do that? Well, nobody really wants to just be like, nobody wants to be upended for their bad behavior in a way that is just direct, right? Like directly at it to you, right? That's, it in general doesn't work with people, right? <laughs> but if you kind of come around it to them and illustrate it in this way where it's not actually, he's not, he's not saying a name. He's not, you know, he's, he's illustrating the point to the, to a, to a place where they can receive it. Yeah. And so they, he's coming, he's coming kind of sideways at them. Oh, I mean, in, in general, in life, when you come straight at your 
spouse or your family members or any of that, it generally doesn't work out, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, generally doesn't. But if you come about it in a sideways way and try to bring about, you know, the situation and show it in a different light and then have them say, oh man, I'm kind of doing that, aren't I? Yeah, that's really good. I, I wrote a whole book, you know this, Becky, a, a book called Shrewd, which is a whole book about the parable of the shrewd manager. And um, Jesus emphasized shrewdness and said, the people of God don't have very much of it. Um, you need more of it. And he is always shrewd. Jesus is always shrewd. Shrewdness means coming from the side. It means not coming frontally. It means coming from the side in a way that can leverage the situation. So he's always trying to leverage toward redemption and freedom from captivity, even with the Pharisees. So it makes sense he would come from the side instead of frontal because uh, he's trying to leverage them. Let's do one last one here from Matthew 7. Do not judge others is what this one is called. So this is just a little teaching that has some embedded humor in it. It's from Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Here's Jesus. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. That, like the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a can I say freaking? When you have a freaking log in your own eye. And how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? You're a hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye and then you'll see well enough to deal with that speck in your friend's eye. And by the way, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. Those pigs will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. So here he has a couple of little zingerish um, uh, interactions around uh, teaching. So here's the question. How does the meaning of this, what he's saying here, Becky, kind of referring to what you were saying before, how does the meaning of what Jesus is saying here change when you imagine it, Jesus saying it the way I just did, or you imagine him with a big smile on his face? How, what kind of meaning do you take away from this that would be different than the traditional way we read this? Well, this is a, this, this passage right here is a lot for Christians, right? We, yeah. we really actually kind of wish that this passage wasn't in the Bible. <laughs> there, this is like probably some of the most like, ugh area of the Bible of what Jesus said that we would prefer to just ignore. Cause we're, we're really good at being judgmental. We, we feel really comfortable and, um, and we feel like it's our job to be judgmental. So we really don't like that. It, he said, not to judge people. We're like, what's, what's wrong with him? Why would he say that? Obviously it's our job as holy people to judge non-holy people. Right. (laughs) Um, I have to stop you for a second too. So you, you said, we wish, we wish that this wasn't in the Bible. And then I laughed because that was funny. Um, But you are making a serious point when you say that. So you're making a serious point, but it's funny. That's exactly what Jesus often did. He's making a serious point, but he's making it funny because you said before, Becky, I thought this was a great observation. Humor requires vulnerability. And so when you laugh, you're opening yourself. And that's what Jesus ultimately wants. He wants us to open ourselves to the truth. And so when, when he says it in a funny way, like what you just did, you just said, uh, you, this is kind of, if you read, if you just wrote what you just said, and, and put a very serious tone on it. Oh yeah, uh, Christians would rather not this passage be in the Bible, exclamation mark. Um, you could read that as, oh, she's really, she's really coming down on Christians. And yet you actually said it in a funny way. Well, and I actually said it to myself. So it was a little bit self-deprecating because I included myself in it and also I had to be vulnerable and honest in order for it to be funny. I had to say what the elephant in the room, which is that we would prefer to be judgmental. (laughs) We would prefer it because it would be easier when someone was doing something wrong. We feel like we should tell them that they're doing it wrong, right? That's part of what is been built into us is this defense of the truth and defense of right and wrong. And so it's weird like that we have to pull ourselves back from it. It takes like extra effort to do that. And then in addition to that, 
uh, this, this passage is really hard because we also want to instruct and help people be better at living out the, the, the Bible, but, oh, wow, we have to deal with our own stuff first. That also sucks. Like, I wish I could just teach and instruct and not deal with my pride, not deal with my arrogance, not deal with my anger. And, um, and, and then also, (laughs) so then it says, don't waste your, your time on people who are unholy. We also would like to be able to go to people who don't believe in Jesus and force them to believe in Jesus. These are all things that Christians would love to be able to do. And so if he did, if he didn't say it in this way, I don't know how well we would receive it because this is kind of against our nature. It's against what we naturally want to do. So that's really good. You know, to to follow this actually, (laughs) let's say that again. It would take a lifetime to be able to follow this. I That's think. really good. Well, let's wrap up here with a, a, a final thought here that I, I really, I, I just keep coming back to something you said before, Becky, that I think is just, it's worth us marinating on this. Um, humor is an act of trust within a relationship. You have to have two people to really connect the dots for, on when something's funny. In fact, Brendan Leonard, when he was doing his online keynote address, he said at the very start of his address, this is really going to be hard for me because I'm used to being in front of people and they laugh at my jokes. And I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to do this because I won't have people here to laugh at my jokes. And what he's really saying is laughter is a connection. Laughter is a relationship. And I need to do what I do in the context of relationship. And now this is really hard. Think of all the late night hosts who are doing their shows with no audiences for months and I, uh, we watched Stephen Colbert most nights. And uh, for a long time, he did his show with nobody. And, and now that he's back sort of in his office, he has brought his wife with him who sits to the side. And I realized last night the reason she's there is because he has no audience and his wife enjoys him. She laughs when he says things. And he was missing that connection point of humor. So... Um, Humor in the end is a marker for intimacy in our relationship, and it's a marker for our trust. If we can laugh in the middle of darkness, tension, panic, disappointment, anxiety, if we can laugh, it is a bold, courageous act of faith. It is saying, Jesus, I trust you. I don't trust the darkness. I trust you. You are the light. I'm going to continue to hope in you. And that means I can afford to laugh in the midst of this. Um, I, I think that's something that we really need right now. And we're not, it's not going to end on Tuesday <laughs> after the election. Uh, we're still going to need for a long time a good sense of humor to move through this and to not take ourselves quite so seriously. When we do that, we say, Jesus, I trust you more than I trust me and the, the human way of fixing our problems. I trust you more. So any last thought here, Becky, before we sign off? No, I think just this is a time that we, I'm excited. I'm excited about what's going to happen because, you know, Rick, you and I have had quite a few of our friends get upended in their jobs. Yes. <laughs> when, if you worked at group, you had a lot of friends that yep. you really about and you know what everyone is just like landing on good territory better territory and um also uh i think that just being displaced it really forces you to have to get in this raw relationship with jesus and there's nothing better than that so if you can just let go of some of the fear and some of the contention that you're feeling. I know it's hard because you're consumed with it, but if you can try and pull yourself away from it, I think you could see that there's a bigger vision being prepared for you. That's probably greater than what you have right now. And and the portal, one really powerful portal into that is to let yourself laugh, let yourself laugh. All right, gang, thanks for listening. Um, that if you want to check out the links that we've mentioned here, again, you go to pain, ridiculous attention to jesus.com. You'll look for season five, episode 39. And don't forget to head over to jesuscenteredaily.com. Get your free sample of my new devotional. Watch the video, order your copy, do whatever you want there. 
um, head on over there if you if you don't have one yet. And if you do have one and you like it, think about it as a, a Christmas gift. Uh, that it makes a great one. It's a it's the gift that keeps on giving. They'll read it for years. So anyway, there you have it. This is paying ridiculous attention to Jesus. It's a podcast from RickLawrence.com. You can subscribe on Google Play or iTunes, and we'll talk again next time. Bye.